the torciadores quietly rolled their cigars and the despaliadoras stripped the stems from the tobacco leaves. They were entertained, informed, and inspired by literature and the daily news. So began the tradition of El Lector, the reader. This is the El Lector podcast. Stories and cigars from the exiled South. Welcome to the Elector Podcast. Today is Friday, July 23rd. I wanted to give the date, even though we don't usually do that, because we're speaking on a Time, timely topic. Timely issue. Of and Cuba. We're, we're acting, we're trying to act with expedience. So while we are still in the undisclosed location. That's right. It's daylight and it's unsettling. That's right. Yeah. I'm a little uncomfortable <laughs> doing this, not under the cover of darkness. I feel a little naked. I, yeah. feel, I feel exposed. Um, so... Uh, well, anyway, just to start out, uh, I want to introduce everybody. So we have we have a very special person on the podcast today. Not you, although, <laughs> although we'll get to you in a minute. But Victor, Victor's who here. hasn't been around for a while. Yes, yes. Uh, news of welcome my, back, Victor. News of my death has been exaggerated, and I am <laughs> actually here in the flesh, in person, sitting here smoking a fine cigar. Thank the- you. Like. Yeah. You like sucking the heck out of that thing. It's gone already. Oh, we're doing. I I I, I, I smoke Are less often now. Uh, yeah. Carlos Torano, Exodus, 1959. We oh. pulled these out. This is an old box. I bought one of the last ones, and and uh, I figured I'd better smoke them before they turn into stale paper. You know, so so I, I opened them and they're still good. They're still great. I, I bought them like these are like three years old, four years old maybe. Exodus nineteen fifty nine. Carlos Torano cigars apparently never to be seen again. Right? Yeah. 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 So these are collectibles yeah. now. Shout out to Jack, uh, our friend who's been on a podcast a few times. Um, also with us today is Aldo. Do you want to just say your last name or? My name is Aldo Leon. There you go. Oh, okay. I don't know if you were saying that because it's a topic we're talking about. Spanish for lying. People listen to this show. Yourself, not if you want to pronounce your People listen to this show in, other, in Cuba. So yeah, yeah. Be yeah. I'm, a, I'm, like, I'm like y'all, man. I'm a, I'm a second gen uh, Barcero, man. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't come on a boat. I, I, was, I was born here. Yeah. You were born where? In New, in New Orleans, right? New Orleans, yeah. yeah. 504. Yeah. It's 504 funny. represent. Yeah, it's funny. Like your your connection, your affinity for like uh, New Orleans is interesting to me because mm. that's like you don't yeah. like it too much. No, I I I, I, I five hundred four and three hundred five is is uh, what I identify with for sure. Uh. I live in D.C. for eleven years and I don't identify at all with the D.C. area. It's a bunch of vocational snobs. Yeah, and I, I, don't, I don't dig it, man. What I love yeah. about the because I lived in Annapolis for a few years. It's all that Baltimore, yeah, yeah. Annapolis quarter. Uh, when people shake your hand, they lock their elbow. <laughs> 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 like this is the actual physical representation of my personal bubble, and you will not enter. Yeah, into yeah. It. Huh. As opposed to here, where you shake somebody's hand, they grab you, they pull you in, and yeah, they yeah. hit yeah. you in the back. Yeah. yeah, you might get a peck on the cheek too. You might get a little kind of weird <laughs> if you're two dudes. Anyway, <laughs> and Marcos, I told you, I'm sorry. <laughs> 
<laughs> and of course, Matt's here. Anyway, um, <laughs> we'll move on. No, Matt, what are you smoking today? Uh, I'm smoking the Aging Room Quattro. Mm-hmm. I believe that you gave me, which is exciting because this was on my agenda for today, and I haven't had a chance to smoke it yet. On your agenda. Yeah, I am uh, here as the token uh, gringo for our Cuban discussion. Yeah, yeah, you're not a balsero, right? Mm -mm. Yeah. You're yeah. gonna be like like the surrogate for the white audience. I'm the one. I'm gonna be your whipping. Shut up, Matt. You don't get to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> You're just wrong. <laughs> Which Victor so. says to me regularly, but this time he actually has like yeah. he, he, yeah. he has grounds too. All right. So thanks for coming out, guys. It's really actually it's it's not that bad. I, I kind of got acclimated. We usually do this at night, but we're doing this in the daytime now too, uh, so everybody could could make it today accommodate all the schedules so people can do bedtime yeah <laughs> bedtime routines so um here's here's what, why we wanted to record this podcast so on july 11th uh this year last week right that was just last week mm-hmm. yep um the the whole world knows that there was uh, there were massive protests that broke out in cuba and uh, it was unprecedented. Nobody had seen anything like this uh, in 60, 60 plus years, uh, with the exception of, uh, I believe it was 1994 in Maleconazo, which was, uh, um, uh, which was a little bit smaller and isolated to Havana. Uh, but now, um, this kind of spread, this was all over the island for the most part. All the, all the major cities from, from Oriente to um, to Pinar de Rio, uh, everywhere there was there were protests. <clears throat> the reason I wanted to have uh, Victor, you're you're one of our guys, but the reason I wanted to have Aldo and Victor specifically was is because you guys and and, and myself and unfortunately Mark Norman Mark whoop, Mark isn't here, and um, and he's actually been to Cuba too, uh, but for the three of us have been there. And we've, I think, I wanted to get the perspective of uh, Cuban Americans, right, who've actually been to the island, you know, and, and a few of us numerous times. Although you've been there every year, you said, except for the, the exception of last year, correct? Yeah. I go there once a year, pretty much since like 2015. Right. For about like a week or two weeks. What do you do when you, when you go to Cuba? So we, we have like a, a church that we support and partner with. And so we just go there to uh, bring a whole bunch of stuff, you know, uh, stuff for kids ministry, like medicines. And then we, uh, we, I went there one time and like I just, I just preached a couple of times and like, and they were like, we need you to keep coming back and explaining gospel application and gospel fluency and centrality. So we, every time we go there, we bring a whole bunch of stuff, we hang out, and we just have all these uh, kind of like teaching moments, just on gospel centrality, just helping mm-hmm. them really get more proficient in like the whole grace and life stuff. So, where's the church located? I mean, in Almendares. Almendares. That's which is in Havana. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's over there, like <coughs> by the water. Uh, I don't know. It's not, not not like in the in the hub. Yeah, there's a river, and then yeah. the mm-hmm. goes out to the bay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that church has been there a long, long, long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I ask a quick question about that? No. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, no, no. Everything is everything is uh, siloed. Well, it just sounds a little bit like. So, 
in dis- discussions about missions in general, like in overseas doing missions work, that there needs to be a shift in investing in the leaders that are actually there. Oh yeah, yeah. And so it sounds like that's you're you're more going to spend time with the actual church body yes. leadership as uh, yes. opposed to doing Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny like so what happens a lot of times with Americans when they come to Cuba is they all want to go there and and they want to give stuff to the peasants there as Americans. We go there and give stuff to Cubans to give to their people. Um, this is nothing. This is not specific to Cuba. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. This is the problem with missions in general. Yeah, and and we go there to just yeah we equip the leaders of the church because they're the ones that are there, you know, and um, so that's pretty much the mentality. Is just I think I think one of the, sorry one of the the things just to clarify on that point of missions uh, that's specifically unique to Cuba is that Cuba does not allow. This is the difference between this right, place right, and others. Right. Does not allow missions. It does not allow humanitarian aid. It historically, hasn't under the revolution. Um, and there is no aid because there's no need for aid. Right. right. There's no right. need for there's aid. No, they, there's no fine. poverty. There's yeah. There's exactly. No That's how they portray it. And so when you go, you go as a tourist. Even if you're a quote unquote missionary or a pastor or somebody right. working for a, some humanitarian organization, uh, you, you're going as a tourist to them. And all they all they were interested in whenever we've gone is is the money coming in, the capital coming in. So. Um, I think that forced, because uh, I got a similar story to yours about of how you operate with the church in Almendares, uh, is uh, that you're you're kind of forced as a as a as a as someone who's going with the idea of serving, right? You're forced into this position. Hmm, they won't let me serve. So how do I approach this? And then you come up with the great idea, which is what you're talking about, of saying, oh, I can just equip these people. I can say, because that's actually all I can do. <laughs> I'm yeah. not allowed to do anything much of anything else. I can't build well. a building. I can't. I can't really. T- I can teach, but it's limited, and I'm right. uh, maybe you know maybe watched. So I'm well, gonna. I'm well, there gonna is the, them. there is a. You can get religious visas. Um, if you um, are, I guess the people that are there, I guess they have a decent relationship with the government, and if you get exactly. a re- if you get a religious visa, you get more. F- religious flexibility um yeah. but but they still watch you like i was i was preaching in um in sunday service and there was government agents watching me preach but you know what's great about being like a gospel guy a two kingdoms guy like they don't care if you're like one of these political preachers like yeah that's a problem yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. you know if you get over there and and you and you're some like woke person being woke in another country like yeah you're gonna have some problems yeah well, <laughs> i woke up in another country once <laughs> you well, get I, a- I i think i think that you know to to quote a cliche like the the gospel is the third way because when i went i went in 2009 and marcus you were on that trip yeah we got to see. We we're trying to like partner with the church or see how we could help this, you know, underground church kind of thing. And we met with the pastor who was like street preaching, like right on. Oh yeah, that's Malacone, right. Like right on. Right Samson. Cr- no, not Samson. I've never seen street preaching in Cuba. There well, was one that we saw it. We saw it, and and basically, you know, to summarize fairly or unfairly, it was basically, hey, don't worry about what's happening now. Heaven will be better. You know, it's kind of like pie in the sky. Don't worry about. It's it. It's also the south side of Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. So the so, end is so nigh. Don't, it, yeah. you know, don't worry about what's happening here. Right. We, we got heaven. Yeah. And somebody who came with us 
and you, you know that Hamid, you know, he came with us, and, and he was like, "Hey, what about in Jeremiah twenty nine seven? You know, where it talks about seeking the welfare of the city and and, and yeah, just you know, seeking the peace, be a good citizen." Yeah, be, be you know, be a good citizen. Yeah, but not. It, it, it sounded like Hamid was trying to say something like, Take, "What about affecting change what, 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 in some way?" And what about, and remember what about that, changing the systemic injustice in well, Cuba? The guy told us. The guy told us there. He says, "Nah." That's the kind of stuff that you get put away, whatever. You know, you're, you, you can't, you'll, get, you can't you'll, get, say, you'll get sent to prison for that. Yeah, you can't say that kind of stuff. He said if any, and, and what he said basically, because I remember, he said he said if your windows are broken, fix them. Have dignity. Have you know, live live your life with dignity. Live your life with hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a believer, hope here in the present, in the present day, and that was seen as anti-revolutionary. By the pastor yeah. who was there, because it's because it, you're you're actually saying something is wrong, mm-hmm. and you, which you can't say. Right. The the great thing about the gospel, I think, is it's so alien and confounding to people that they don't even recognize how revolutionary that idea is. Right. Like how it would it would undermine if the, actually the gospel took hold in Cuba, it would, I think it would undermine so many things. But they're not listening for those kinds of words. They're not listening for which is why other places have shut it down. Yeah. Because they know it's a threat. Yeah. All right, so Victor, you just uh, th- uh, thank you for saying that because I wanted to get to where you, well, you and I went in 2009, and that's your experience in Cuba. Um, you've wanted to go back, right? Uh, I know that yeah. you have plans on going back. Yes. Do you want to share why? Um, well, my my father passed away in December, December 15th, and uh, he you know he let us know be- before he we didn't know who's gonna who's gonna pass when he did. But the last couple of years of his life, he knew he was getting to the end. He was, he was 84 when he passed. He shared his desire to have his ashes uh, spread on the ocean, um, off the coast of Nigeto, which is where he grew up. Mm-hmm. And you know, in the middle of a pandemic, you can't really travel or you know even plan those things. But I, I'd like to return, you know, with with my brother, with my mom maybe, uh, to go and and see if we can do that uh, in El Oriente, in Nigeto. Uh, to kind of you know uh, fulfill his wishes, and that'll be. I remember when we went when we went in 2009. My dad was against it. Uh, my dad left in '66. He had uh, many reasons to leave. Yeah. Um, he, he was uh, persecuted by the regime, and he felt like he could not go back until, even though you know Cubans can visit. You know, there's nothing prohibiting him from from going. He would not go back until. You know, in his words, like until the last communist was dead. Right, right. And uh, even after Castro, preferably Cast- would like to be the one to put the bullet in his yeah. head. <laughs> yeah. I remember I called him when, when Castro died. You know, five years ago, I called him and I was all celebratory. I'm like, oh, he, he's that you outlived him. He's dead. And my dad was like, it's not over. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just yeah. gonna put up another communist. That's right. Yeah. And um, so you know, I, I don't I don't know when we can go, but I, I know that that's gonna be the you know completion of my dad's wishes if we can go back and spread his ashes there. We have uh, we were speaking Mark, Matt, and I when you weren't here the last time, Victor. That we're definitely gonna we want to do a, a show specifically with an interview uh, uh, with you mm-hmm. uh, to tell us about your father's story because it's 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 a powerful story. It's 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 really interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah I so. think a- every child and grandchild of an exile in Miami that has an inter- interesting story, compelling story about, you know, how their father, grandfather, grandmothers, mothers came over. Um, 
and you know, I, so I'm biased, but I think my, my dad's story is is pretty unique and compelling. Yeah. And um, I actually voted. I think it just needs to be a whole series, like we, yeah. or even a second. Oh, I, I, like, I, I, what, I pl- tell me this, like. Uh, Angels exploits part part yeah. one. <laughs> so it, yeah, he was um, it, it was pretty pretty incredible. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> the kind of story that when I was a kid, he tell me I'm like, yeah, whatever, Dad. Yeah, everybody had that amazing story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then as I got older, I started meeting people who were like, no, no, your dad's story actually is pretty amazing. And, oh wait, uh, your your dad's just a butcher. Your dad's not a international spy like mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I thought spoke. everybody just did that. I thought everybody. <laughs> I, I I I spoke in in New Orleans once on a topic that i won't talk about on the podcast today and uh, and i talked about miami with this group of new, or- new orleanians and i said i said you know you guys have a lot of interesting stories here um and and all this this uh spy and espionage stuff is in, is in, is intriguing it really is but you guys are watching it on documentaries you're reading about it we grew up with this crap <laughs> in miami this was this was, this was, this was tuesday yeah <laughs> It was Tuesday in Miami, so yeah, it's like every every Cuban kid has some kind of story about something that happened in their family. Yeah, yeah, and and I think uh, I, I was talking to a bunch of uh, you know mo- millennial uh, Christians about the um, the atrocities of of America, and. And I was like, I'm not trying to sound like they're, you know, this is some. You mean a realistic understanding of our history? No, nah, but I'm, I'm talking about like right now, like right now, like how this is just this is a an oppressive uh, regime that just needs to just be like totally revamped. And uh, yeah, even though like there is major issues here, but like I was like, that just reminds me of just how uh, naive and spoiled Americans are that they can talk about privilege and oppression. The fact that they can even talk about it shows how privileged we are. Right. Because right. in Cuba, we, we, we can't talk about privilege. So, we can't talk about oppression. So let's, let, let me, let me <laughs> like, kind of... The fact that you can talk about it and go burn a city down um, and, um, and, and, and the, the people in power say it was, you know, it was a peaceful this or whatever, it goes to show just how, how uh, truly like in a common grace sense like we're, we, so it's, we're privileged. It's super interesting to me because as I, I am like Lieutenant Dan from Forrest Gump, right? <laughs> a Hedinger died in every war. In this country, I mean, like we served. My brother has a saber, a replica of the, from the year that Hedinger's came to this country, and served like in the cat, like in the military, like from that far back. And so, there's nothing more offensive to me than burning the American flag. Hmm. But at the same time, that is like the greatest hallmark of our country is that it's not illegal to burn the flag. Yep. Yeah. And that's that's the the epiphany. But I want to I want to kind of if you don't mind Marcos, I kind of want to because I think anybody that's listening to us that's not Cuban or not from Miami mm-hmm. doesn't understand what the issue is here. So you guys hit on it and I want to start with that. Let's talk let, let me hear from you guys. What is the psychological because you said there is no problem in Cuba. Mm. Right? So there's a psychological position. There's a, there's a a fantasy that is purported that people may not know about 
And I think you have to understand that to understand why it's significant what you just said. Mm -hmm. Because we can protest here whenever we want. Why is this protest significant? You, know you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. So let's let's go back to zero. Well, do we want like a history lesson? Brief. Brief history. More like a psycho- That's why I picked psycholo- you. you can okay. Sum it Psychological up. history. So let, 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 well, let's start with uh, Spanish-American War, also Cuban War for Independence. Uh, America jumps in 19 or 1898 to help out Cuba gain their independence from Spain, and as an arrangement, uh, the Americans set into the policy you know, something called the, the Platt Amendment that they have to put in the Constitution, this Platt Amendment, that says America can intervene whenever they want into Cuban affairs, and Cubans have to uh, do basically all their business with America. The Americans can buy land, they can buy corporations, what have you. And uh, even historically, like, Thomas Jefferson wanted Cuba to be the 51st state. Like, he just thought it would be amazing if Cuba was part of the United States. So this is kind of like this compromise of, like, hey, we're going to see what we can do in Cuba. And then Cuba hums along for about 30 years, and you have uh, uh, President Machado. Mm-hmm. This is this who, is post Spanish independence. Post Spanish independence. So right, they, right. they they experienced like thirty years of Republic of Cuba, and as, as a part of Spain. As a part, well, after their after Spain, so they gained their independence after Spain, and they spent the first thirty years of the twentieth century, basically as a as a free country. A lot of intervention from America, like fifty presidents. Yeah, <laughs> just presidents like are put up and come down, whatever. Then this one president in particular, Cuba, built its its uh, economy on sugar, and they have a boom when World War One happens, and all of a sudden there's not sugar coming out of Europe. It's all of a sudden they're creating much sugar, and then depression happens once sugar. That's everybody's the, making sugar. What they call the fat cow period. The fat the, cow the, period. La, la vaca, and then there's yeah. a skinny cow period, and then the Great Depression happens. Uh, so there are these this economic uh, woes. This is almost 100 years ago now, 90 years ago. Economic woes in Cuba. And the president of the time, Machado, um, starts realize, he starts cutting back on government programs because they, they can't afford it anymore and starts beefing up military and police. So basically slowly becoming a dictator. Um, the people don't want this. The military doesn't want this. One person in particular, uh, Fulgencio Batista, doesn't want this. And he's a young sergeant at the time. And he organizes more or less a revolt, a coup. They depose Machado. Um, they put in uh, this temporary government, and then even that doesn't last very long. There's like three presidents in a day or something like that at some point. And for the next 17 years or so, like through the 30s and 40s, there's uh, something like a democracy, but Batista is kind of behind the scenes always in some way. Goes into exile. Well, what year does Batista start? Whoa. Batista, the, the revolt, the sergeant's revolt is 1933. Batista comes back into the scene in the early 50s, he wants to become the next president of Cuba. And he comes back from, I think he was exiled, he was in he, Miami. He, stage, he stages a coup in 52. In 52, he called, there's an, there's an election happening. Grau. No, not Grau. Grau um, was in Brio. Brio Socarras. Yes. So th- there's yeah. basically an election coming up, and he's like in third place, uh, which he's really surprised by. He thought he was more popular than that. So he's able to stage a coup and call off the election. He always had the military support with him. 52, he comes into power. Suspends the 1941 Constitution. Yes, suspends the Constitution. Basically, it's martial law. And the American government's like, well, fine, whatever. As long as you'll trade with us, as long as you keep in, you know, we're on your good side, whatever, we'll support whatever you're doing. Batista is known for consorting with the mafia and basically... Godfather. uh, Yeah, Godfather 2. Watch Godfather 2. Hyman Roth. (laughs) So the mafia 
it in kind of this conflicted way it makes Havana this like it city like everybody wants to be there it's like the Paris of the Caribbean but at the same time it's the mafia and yeah. and there's a lot of injustice happening it's the Vegas of the Caribbean it, it's the Vegas of the Caribbean and that's, that's not a playground for Americans and there's this very there's a famous photo called American Taurus which is like imagine that you know the CEO of your most hated company uh, down in Cuba taking a picture of him in a giant sombrero hat with only wearing his underwear, holding a bottle of rum. Oh, I remember that picture. So yeah. this—that picture- was my uncle. That oh, no, I'm just kidding. Well, <laughs> no, that was Matt's uncle. That en- en- enrages the common. <laughs> it was Cuban. my grandfather, <laughs> for real. But at the same time, and this is like a broader subject, Latin America in general, it, it has been more uh, not complicit, but more accepting of dictators. La, la mano dura. Yeah. The idea of like we need strong leaders. Yeah, because we're our, our roots are very Catholic and. Oh yes, right. very yeah, hierarchical. Yeah. We're, we're used to that, man. So Batista, through the fifties, he has obviously the support of corporations and the aristocracy and people who have you know some skin in the game, and everyone else kind of just has to live with it. So, you know, the, our our history lessons coming to a close. Castro, um, who had had multiple points, tried to to create a movement in Cuba to, to overthrow the dictatorship. He, uh, at the really the, the it comes to a head when he invades the country December second, nineteen fifty six, I believe it was, and at that point he comes on a little boat called the Grandma. It leaves from Mexico. He did not account for the fact that his boat would have way too many people on it. He had 82 people on the boat, so they missed their landing spot. They come too late. Their little revolution is a little thrown off because people on the island are starting to revolt before he ever gets there. But he comes, establishes a, uh, a little base in the mountains of eastern Cuba. Most of the world thinks he's dead. Batista says they killed him on the beach. There's only 19 of them left, the revolutionaries. It's a very romantic story when people find out that he's actually alive. Herbert Matthews of the New York Times does an interview with him and creates the hero that would become known as Fidel Castro in the late 50s. Uh, Castro's alive. He wants to free the Cuban people from this dictatorship. And hey, he... R- real quick, would, would, would you think, from your perspective, you think it's fair to say that there was some credibility to that? Well, so... Well, let me... Sorry, so on that, because I want to go back to the mafia thing, okay? This is an article that was written by, I read it recently, it was written by Humberto, well, actually, it's written in 2015 by Humberto Fontova. Uh, Shout out to the Babalu blog. um, for uh, This is something that that he clarified. Uh, This is, I know that that this is documented, what he says here, just to give perspective to to this conversation, then to the history. Uh, He says, in 1955, Cuba contained a grand total of three gambling casinos. The biggest was at the Tropicana and featured 10 gambling tables and 30 slot machines. The Hotel Nacional featured seven roulette wheels and 21 slot machines. By contrast, in 1955, the single Riviera Casino in Las Vegas featured 20 tables and 116 slot machines. This means that in 1955, one Las Vegas casino had more gambling action than all of Cuba. Cuba's tourism industry as a whole generated $60 million in 1958. Havana by itself had 42 hotels. The mob reputedly had financial interest in seven of these, and these didn't include among the among them, Cuba's biggest hotel, the Havana Hilton. 
Instead, the biggest hotel on the island was majority owned by the pension plan of the Cuban Federation of Gastronomic Food Workers. This fully documented historical datum, need, needless to add, doesn't mesh well with the fairy tale narrative about Cuba's horribly exploited working class of the time. So, that being said, um, and even if you want to like innuendo, like, Just well, of course the mob wouldn't have all their stuff in the books, whatever. I, in my opinion, what was creating the anti-American sentiment was not just that it was a playground for America, but I think at that point, America owned 90% of the mines. Uh, they owned 40% of the sugarcane fields. They, 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 America had a huge influence. Oh, yeah. yeah it was, like, sure. it was a, in many ways, a banana republic. And, that yeah. goes, and it goes back to like the, the deal with, with the whole Spanish independence, right? Yes. Yeah. And which, which was, that was suspended at, at a certain point, but there was still that relationship that America had. They didn't lose their land. Can I just real quick to, to your question, Aldo, about could it possibly, like, was there any legitimacy to the claim that? Castro was good intention at the beginning. Yeah, the Baptista was a bad dude. He's a bad guy, and Castro actually what did have good intentions. There's a really fascinating book from the American point of view, written from an, an, an American about the Bay of Pigs called The Brilliant Disaster. And there's a lot of history in that about our perceptions of Castro and what we thought we were dealing with and how he was viewed as the good guy until he wasn't viewed as the good guy. And what was, this is just a side note. What was fascinating about it was um, their des- willingness and desire to kill Castro once they decided he was a communist. Um, because this is really coming off the heels of World War II, right? And so there wasn't a man in po- there wasn't a man in American politics that wouldn't have shot Hitler, wouldn't have gone back in time and killed Hitler. And so Nixon was like, "Yeah, we definitely have to kill this guy." But there's also lots of interactions of Castro coming to the United States and not being treated with respect in his perception. From Rassenberger's 2012 might be the reprint year, but it's really an interesting book to read about kind of like the complexity of this transition happening from an American standpoint. And and that's I I like that you point that out, that when we found out he was a communist, because part of the myth, I think, that so many Cubans have tried to fight is it wasn't a communist revolution. Castro did never said anything communist during his campaign. And and Herbert Matthews of the New York Times went out of his way to say like this is he's an anti-communist. Right. He's trying to take down a dictator. You know, he's trying to free the people. And people don't know if maybe Castro was secretly a communist or maybe he developed communist sympathies from Che or whatever. But by the time that he started implementing communist policy, which is like 1960, he'd already fought and won the revolution. Even his some of his own generals were surprised. Yeah, like like they the people the Cuban people weren't rallying behind a communist. They were rallying behind like a revolutionary hero. That's my perception on the stuff that I've read. That his communist point of view is a combination of an evolution. It is because Ra- Raúl and and Che Guevara were Maoist communists. Okay, that that even freaked out the Russians. Right. Yeah, you know, they they weren't right. even in on that. And then and then um and Fidel never showed his cards until the end. But so I, I wonder um, he, if there's a parallel toward like how the mafia started in the United States hmm. with racism against Sicilians and Italians and them taking care of them their own. Like the mafia the mafia was Given a, a, the racism created an environment for them that to flourish, right? To have to take care of their own. And yeah. so I think yeah. the, there was an aspect of this that was our mishandling of Castro, 
initially. Yeah, kind of made him he a gets, hero. He gets well, snubbed by Eisenhower. To, yeah, he gets snubbed yeah. by Eisenhower. And, like, why would you, like... So, I think he basically aligned himself with the Russians. Well, during the campaign, he actually... I think he received $50,000 worth of aid from the CIA. Once the CIA thought he was going to win, like, they, they sent him money. Yeah. Because the CIA doesn't care. Like they, they, right, they, right. But if they knew he was a communist... They wouldn't send. They wouldn't have done that. Yeah, they wouldn't have done that. So Castro, remember the way my my dad said it was when, when he was in the mountains, kind of like because it was a couple years. It was a very romantic story, and like ninety percent of the country was for him. It was like, wow, this is our hero. Yeah, because he was a man of the people for the people, right? Um, And you know, when you hear him talk, he's he's saying, look, Cuba has been exploited. you know, by you know, just power-hungry, money-hungry people, and, and this needs to be a place where the Cuban person, um, the regular person, has a priority. Um, and uh, yeah, the thing, the thing is interesting. Like, like obviously, like after Castro comes in power, things change. But he came into power because he was a grassroots, winsome um, for the people person it wasn't like uh he, he was very charismatic yeah yeah it wasn't like he came in there like uh you know just like strong arming people no. nah. it, and it was an underdog story yeah i mean the guy went from like 19 people grew to like 200 people that he would count as his military but it, it's how does how does a guy who like literally showed up with in a boat take over a country and so, yeah, it becomes this very beautiful, almost, you know, yeah. this is like the, you know, Washington crossing the Potomac. Like, this and, is like and then, this beautiful and, thing. And then the fact that he would defy, like, the global, the global superpower, like, you know, a swim away um, was also in some ways a, a, a compelling story for, so, for a lot of people. So... In relation to what you just said about how his his charisma, the the the, re, the way people really were attracted to him, there's a film that I, I saw that's uh, I recommend it because it's it's interesting. It's an interesting piece of history. It's a Cuban produced film from in 1962 called Las Doce Sillas, the Twelve Chairs. Um, I'll I'll, uh, I'll read the synopsis here uh, if I can find it. Um, it's a 1962 cu- Cuban comedy film. The plot based on uh, a, a 1928 novel of the same name, and basically, it's it's um, it's a it's a the premise of it is it's a, I, I believe if I remember correctly it's a, it's there's a wealthy woman. Uh, at the time of the the where, where they nationalized everything and and people started leaving the island, and and they have these twelve chairs and in one of those chairs or in all the chairs I don't remember she had stashed all her jewelry, in you the chair she sewed it in. Mel uh, Brooks did a remake of this. Oh really? What's it, which one? Uh, like 12, it's, called it's called the twelve, 12 chairs? chairs. Oh, I need to watch but that one. I think it's Europe. I don't think it's interesting. Yeah. Well, Q, well, Castro did it, w- and it was definitely a uh, propaganda film. And what was what was really great about the movie is you're watching it, and you're like, oh man, the revolution's awesome. It's nice. Yeah. And it was this whole thing, and and the way they portrayed everything, they used this. Hey, come on, we're 
it's okay, we're all Cubans, you know? It was kind of, that, that's what you walked away with. Like, even, you know, hey, we get it, but things are changing, so, you know, you're yeah. going to have to hand that over, it's okay. Yeah. And it was a very, very, at the beginning, it was a soft entry of, of like, of, of, of Cuban pride, of, of we're, look, we're all in this together, that kind of mentality. And, but it quickly started shifting. Uh, right around the mid '60s, right? Mm-hmm. Early, early to mid '60s. I think once people realize, like, th- there's a, an analogy for our cognate of this in the Russian Revolution, in the Bolshevik Revolution, is the Peasants' Revolt that happened in Russia. So, like, it, once the Bolsheviks started implementing actual communism, and and saying, "Hey, you peasants, we're on your side. Now you need to give us your farms." Because this is how we make Russia yeah. a better place. Make Russia the, great again. Make Russia great again. So the peasants were like, well, we're going to go find guns and stop you from doing that. Because even though we're poor, we want to have our farms. So I think the similar thing happened in Cuba where all of a sudden yeah. people were like, wait a second. Communism doesn't just mean that the super rich people get their stuff taken. It means that all of us yep. have right. to pay in. Yep. And, and anyone who had even family that was part of the previous military or the previous political structure... It's like all of a sudden, you are you are possibly dangerous if you're at all involved with the previous administration and any <coughs> local or country yeah. level. Yeah. So you have all these people being persecuted. It's not just that they're trying to take our stuff, yeah. but like no, we're trying to come yeah. after you because we don't want you to revolt yeah. against and the new. That's a, that's a, I, I think it, just to say like it's important to understand that true monstrosity and uh, and and uh, just human. Um, depravity and dictatorship it always comes in the veneer of some legitimacy or and, promise yeah and the thing is that's a, that's the thing like like that's why like us Cubans like we see the political conversation in America very differently because we see like a lot of like the legitimacy in the conversation but I mean if we believe in like a, you know we're Christian so we believe in a devil um, who's smart and intelligent, um, he disguised himself as an angel of light. And so, whenever you're seeing um, the most the most monstrous things that we see, are always coming in a veneer of of humanitarian leg- legitimacy. Um, it's smart. And so, for Castro to be as awful as he was, for him to be a true um, villain, he needed to have a true. Um, legitimacy um, to ground and, and drive that you know that's just I, I think people don't understand that it's just mm. that's just how it is do you remember uh, how old was the movie I forgot now T- uh, Hot Fuzz Oh, yeah. oh yeah. yeah, the greater good the greater the good greater, the right. greater good right. yeah, yeah. So, so, you, so this this yeah. historical movement takes the people to Cuba to what place Castro is full full-blown now the revolution yeah so i want to hear that because i i think you know you, you were victor you were just saying um you were just kind of uh, about to open up about what castro actually did and what the, what they did at the beginning and when they were persecuting it wasn't just persecution what what happened um well there's he, here's where history gets confusing because if you were to consult the the books in cuba that their version of it was they were able to root out all of the the capitalists, the Batista sympathizers, the people who were oppressing Cuba. And what they really did was they kicked out 
all the aristocrats, you know, because they took their mansions and uh, they all had to leave. Um, which is, I believe, the myth that a and they lot... Gave, and they gave them to the generals. Yeah. Yeah, well, not, not to the people, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> coincidentally, the the, the, arist- the aristocrats becomes the state. Yeah, and that's what happens, you know. But the, the the myth the myth that was sold to the United States and to the world was that the people coming over then in the late fifties, early sixties, mid sixties, oh, those are all just all the rich people leaving. Of course, they would leave. They were the oppressors, right? Right. But then this you is hear the rats from leaving the sinking ship. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but then when you hear the story from the lips of the Cubans who actually came over. Like, of course you have the super rich, you know, the families that left and took their, you know, the Bacardi family, like they, they took their company with them, you know, to Puerto Rico. And these, you know, diff- different families that, that took their wealth with them. But then you start seeing the families of people who are, we would say are, would be middle class here. Yeah. Working No, class. no, yeah. My, my, uh, real quick, like my, my grandfather came over here and he just worked in an office, you know. And so, like, he wasn't like some. He didn't own a plantation in in <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And he came over here in the in the uh, before the seventies. And he didn't come over here because you know he was killing over there. He he he, he had an office job, you know, uh, you know, kind of like just just a nine to five grinder. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so the the idea, like all of like the uh, the. Massively wealthy people just ran. No, it was it was people that just had uh, a, a lot of middle class people. Yeah. That's right, as well working, yeah. working middle class. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and like I said, anybody who had any kind of family that that might have been associated with. So you know, a quick little anecdote of in '64, my dad helped his brother, my uncle, Pao, uh, flee the island. Bao was in the Marines, like the previous Batista's, you know, regime. He was uh, his job was taking care of the lighthouse in Cabo Cruz. That was that was oh, what he wow. did. Cool. So once the new regime takes over, they are making sure that there's not going to be anybody who has any amount of influence or organizational skills or any kind of military training that could possibly get in the way of this communist vision that they have. And might it helps Bao escape. And the next day, my dad's arrested on suspicion of aiding and abetting, a, you know, a fugitive. Wow. My uncle, and on the suspicion of himself fleeing, and which is, I think, a common story for a lot of Cubans. Like you would be jailed just for the suspicion of that you might leave. Which, I, you know, I would pose the question to any any communists out there: uh, How good is your system if you ha- need to imprison people who don't want to be a part? Yeah, of yeah, it? yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the thing. Like when when things are are not actually. Legitimate, you you have to enforce, um, you know your 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 values and and whatnot. And um, if it's not a legitimate system, you have to use illegitimate means. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You need to coerce the population un- until yeah. they learn. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's, and, and you see that you see that today with you know even just the the whole cancel culture thing. If you really have uh, an ideology that is compelling, it speaks for itself and it has its own legs. But if it's not, you you, you have to. Um, you know, go in the uh, the silencing and, and well, so I think you hit the nail on the head though. Vic. That's that's what I'm trying to drive us to. You said, what did you just say? What did I just say? We're gonna teach you. Oh yeah, we're, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna imprison you, or the the beatings will continue until morale improves. Right? Mm-hmm. Like we're gonna keep doing this until you get it, it right. And and Castro, you, you can look at the, and you know, I'm, I'm not gonna uh, forget the name of the person who turned on this idea for me, but. 
everybody thinks that when you get rid of a dictator, that whatever is going to replace him is going to be better somehow. Um, but there's no. there's no guarantee of that. No, uh, there's no promise of that. It's like you you can just replace him with a worse dictator. That, but that's what always happens uh, for the most part is uh, a bad dude leads a vacuum for a worser dude. And if and in. if there's actually let's say there is you know in history some really benevolent dictator shows up does a coup and he's a great guy, well he's gonna get killed by the horrible dictator right after him. That's gonna come and say like well thanks for setting everything up for me. And that's my how turn. we tie in Loki. <laughs> <laughs> but I won't do that right now. But yeah, that's hey. That, but, so I think I, I but I think Loki's. I think with the whole... Uh, Spo- spoiler, if you haven't watched the series, pause now. Carry on. I think him being a part of, like, what, what's, what's that whole... The TVA? The, the TV, I think it, it changes. Well, that's Kang cha- the Conqueror. Kang the Conqueror... It changes him. ...is the dictator. He's the benevolent dictator. He's a dic- He's saying, I'm a dictator. I think Loki's changing. No, Loki... And no, I'm saying the guy that they fought at the end of the series is Kang the Conqueror. And basically, he's a, he says, I'm a benevolent dictator. You kill me... What coming? What's coming next is much worse. Yeah, that's his argument, and that's supporting your statement. That's mm. I'm saying. That's kind of the point of that whole series. Okay, yes, but so so I think we we have then Castro having to implement a dictatorial rule to to enforce communism, which I mean we have enough examples in history to show that's the really only way communism works is if it's forced, and at that point, Cubans fleeing, they don't want to be under that kind of regime. That it, some uh, I think uh, Frank Sturgis is a pretty famous, notable uh, person from yeah. American history and Cuban history. That is a nut, man. Look up that guy. He's oh, amazing. He's fascinating. Um, and then even Camilo Sanfuegos, he was not a communist. No. And, and I, th- I think he died before he could really figure out what mm-hmm. was happening. Yeah, Castro knocked him off. Yeah. Yes. And But Camilo Sanfuegos was like, wait a second. There's no way that we're going to be a communist government, right? And then all of a sudden, nobody heard from him again. <laughs> yeah. Right? Right? <laughs> right? Right? Like, yeah, the Anakin, the Anakin uh, Padme meme. meme yeah. So and I think what sets this up then for and you know trying to speak on behalf of the Cuban exile community is we know deeply what happened, but it seems like everybody else just picked up on the myth and the propaganda that was being put out of Cuba. So that everybody, when we try everybody to see, where everybody here or everybody there? No, everybody. Well, everybody North of around the world, around the yeah. world, around really. The world. Yeah. This this hero of a man, Castro, you know, overthrew this dictator who was being supported by the evil American Empire, mm-hmm. and then Castro is going to thumb his nose at all these American presidents who try to kill him and knock him off, and he just becomes like David and David and Goliath. Yeah. But Cubans know like what really happened, and it's felt like, at least for the exile community. That we've been like gaslit for sixty years. Yes, exactly. That's really like every 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 new celebrity visiting and saying like, "No, the island's great. People love it here." Who, who's that guy, Michael? Uh, the guy who did a documentary, Michael man. Moore. Michael Moore. Michael Moore. Oh Michael Moore. God, what a moron, bro. You, <laughs> you know what's funny? Like, homeboy got sick on the island, and and I guess part of his documentary he was talking about, "Oh man, like universal health care." When he got sick, he left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> he went to uh, to United States to get treated, you know. Um. So, so go, going back to the the uh, conform, because one of the things that, um, God, what was I? I I, I heard a quote from Mussolini the other day that was interesting. <laughs> the Daily Mussolini. The Daily yeah. Mussolini on Twitter. Yeah, I, I subscribe to that. Um, and and basically, he said something to the effect of within. Uh, the fascism or whatever 
everything. Outside of fascism, nothing. And immediately, obviously, Victor, although you guys know, that's a Castro quote. Within the revolution, everything. Mm. Outside the revolution, nothing. And it was a complete cultic almost almost cultic mentality it was a, it was it was like we're go i'm going to change everything and i'm going to i'm the way i'm going to do it is we're going to kill people so i have this here the the cuba archive documents death and appearance deaths and appearances resulting from fidel castro's cuban revolution has documented 3615 firing squad execu executions conducted by the cuban state and uh, since uh, Cuba took over in 1959. Since Castro took over. Since, yeah, uh, since Castro took over in 1959. Um, uh, 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 th and with the time that, that this was written, what I'm reading here, it says, in addition to the firing squad executions, 1,253 extrajudicial killings have been attributed to the Castro regime. It's all about control. It's all about imposing, um, you know, massive amounts of control over the people, and uh, you know, and, and have been told by by people I know, um, why haven't the Cubans, you know, risen up? Risen up? They can't. When you have when you have a committee for the defense of the revolution on every corner mm -hmm. of every block in Cuba, in every in every town in Cuba. You can't do anything. It's a watchdog mentality. Yeah, it's, you know, what's, it's crazy. What, what's interesting? I I uh, I dated a girl who. Um, That's not interesting. Wait, wait. Oh, okay, wait for it. I, I dated a girl. Pass who, me the light. Who worked for a, a, a the DoD, and, and he said that. Um, she said. Well, that's where it becomes no, he interesting. Said. <laughs> you dated a girl, and she said. Her dad said. Oh, her uh, dad. Her dad. We missed the character. The, Carry on. Her dad. Her dad worked for the DoD. He said that. There's two countries that run circles around American intelligence. It's Israel and Cuba. So I was like, wait a second, let me get this straight. Like, this little broke island yeah. right. runs circles around like the global superpower in intelligence. And he's like, yeah. Like, because they rely strictly on human intelligence. No, but they're... And they're, it's all what you're about to say. They're... they're Part of part of why this has worked for so long, or I mean, work maybe that's the best word. It's just it's been for so long, is because they do it really well, bro. I, I've talked to pastors who were in Dallas or in Texas and uh, going through customs, and they got pulled over, um, you know, in the airport and asked a few questions. Pastors coming in, in or leaving? Pastors coming into the U.S. just to visit some churches. From Cuba? Yeah. Okay. And when he gets back to Cuba, they're like, so what did they ask you? Hmm. That's gangster, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so, I, I, again, like just, just, just from like a, a strategic standpoint, like um, they have figured out very well how to um, know know things and, and uh, be aware of things and, and, and uh, control so, things. So let's take these two pieces, right? So we're talking 60 years, right? 60 plus years mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of the power of myth, right? Shaping yeah. a culture coupled with the most extreme force. Not, I mean, just straight up lining people up and shooting them. For thinking differently, or being suspected of thinking differently, right? So, so just 
put that in because I'm, I'm, remember I'm, I'm trying to help the gringos understand okay 60 years of you believing a myth and if you don't believe the myth you're killed punished killed yeah punished killed so th- there's the myth is attractive because uh, you, you can look at Cuban if, you know if I were to ask you what are some like what are some Cuban things like what are Cubans into the baseball jazz mm-hmm. right so they, they've exported a lot of that baseball players cigars cigars, cigars. so a Le lot John. of the reason that we so that was exactly where Cuba was 60 years ago yeah Imagine if the United States, somebody just froze the United States in 1959 and said, for the next 60 years, this is just going to be 1959 United States. We're not going to change anything, because this is really what the United States is. In Cuba, that's what Castro did. He said, this is really what Cuba is, so we're not going to have a different kind of music. We're not going to have different, the Cuba's not going to evolve in any way. This is Cubanness. So you have then when people try to create like I'm, I'm thinking of a band in particular, Porno por Ricardo, a punk band in Cuba. Yeah. And their singer has been like arrested multiple times. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's still alive. He might be. But simply for like singing protest punk songs. Now you know, I, I think if it happened in the United States, that that wouldn't happen in the United States. You can't arrest somebody for just singing a song in protest. But you have any time that people not just would question the myth. But would even try to evolve the culture in any way, they're put down it, stylistically. Not not even not even the content. Not even content just, just stylistically. stylistically. Yeah. So what you're saying is like you don't get to watch anything other than leave it to Beaver. But then you well, get I think to be it, proud of being Cuban. Yeah. You get like that's what being Cuban is. We don't have this but this the, horrible thing telling American, us what to do. Our American historical has gone through so many shifts. Right, so you look at us. The we have Vietnam, right, and then we have the '70s, which is like the complete rejection, or the '60s, the complete rejection of all authority from the '50s. All authority. Mm-hmm. Your dad is not authoritative anymore. Your dad doesn't know what he's talking about. Your doctor yeah. doesn't know what Don't he's talking about. Don't trust anybody over thirty. But, Don't but, trust but, anybody but, over thirty. You, you know, one of the other reasons why this has uh, been so long, it's worked, is um, if people are worried about this is, what I, this is what I've noticed going to Cuba if people are, are too worried about surviving and taking care of their families they can't worry about um, politics their their empire that's right yeah you keep so, them, so, yeah. so in Cuba you everyone is fed enough mm-hmm. to be hungry um, everyone has enough to to you know I guess be lacking not not, not totally out on the street but but be lacking to the point where you're always needing to provide. So, if you talk to most people, it's like, yeah, this this sucks. But um, you know, at the end of the day, like I have kids, I have a wife. Right. I don't have time to be a revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have to survive. So if if you can create a scenario that is so destitute that people um have to constantly be worrying about their basic needs it makes it very difficult for you to make a shift which is that's one of the reasons why i was telling mark was like I, with everyone getting all hyped about um what's going on right now and you know i heard you know some people saying my 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 family's been waiting 60 years for this day uh-huh. um and i was like 
a bunch of desperate people um, getting desperate enough to act out is far from what is necessary for there to be some kind of like uh, true um, shift, you know. And so, like, if you keep people desperate enough to always be worrying about their basic things, which which is what communism does, um, they don't have time for bread lines in Russia. A, a, yeah, a change. Yeah. You know, and so and that, it, that's exactly what that's that's it. So the oppression for us because of our privilege, we don't know what it's like to be oppressed on a molecular level. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's what we're talking about. Yeah, like like yeah. there's not a, there's not a facet of your human experience as a Cuban that hasn't been in an, an effort to propagate a myth. Yeah. And another just think to like the the 60s with like the civil rights movement um even though people like were uh like oppressed in in various ways they still had enough resources um to provide for their families in such a way that could give them the space and energy mm-hmm. to fight to do that right you know and there's and, other places you could live yeah, yeah, Even and, in this country. And, and, and you you could make a living um, in some in Cuba. Like everyone is surviving all the time, and so when when survival uh, is is the narrative for everyone you know, um, you just think day to day. You don't think about yeah. It. You, you, it would be like I remember a couple of years ago, people being afraid, like, oh, America is gonna. You know, have some revolution because some people, you know, the the youth are believing in communism, whatever. It's like people have too much to lose and are too happy right now for that to happen. And, and it's almost like like at, at one end you have that, like you're not going to give up a whole lot of stuff for possibly better. But then at the other end, where Cuba is, it's like you don't have much to lose, but you don't have much to go on, and you don't have the you don't have any to gain. Yeah, you don't have anything gained. So, like, like, here's the thing: like, like, in in a lot of Latin American countries, um, there's actually something to obtain if something changes for you. But if there's nothing to get, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. the the problem in Cuba is 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 not that there there isn't. So, if you have money, you can't you you still can't even buy stuff. You know, because like when you go to the stores, it's like there isn't stuff there. So it's. You could be in Guatemala, which is like ridiculously poor, but if you find some way to obtain obtain income, you could get right. stuff. Right, you can get up. Yeah, inflation, inflation, and and the lack of 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 of, of, of commerce and products. So let's say let let's say like you're doing well, um, as a Cuban, and doing well as a Cuban is like you make two hundred dollars a month. I say doing well. It's just you're, you're doing okay. That's very well. Yeah. Because mo- the average Cuban makes twenty dollars a month. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I want to buy a car. I want to buy a car. What okay. car? Okay. I- I'll buy a 1988 Datsun or whatever for twenty five thousand dollars. And I'll 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 put gas in my 1988 car for twenty five thousand um, dollars for a hundred dollars a week. So it's almost like there, there is no, there is no, there is no, there, there is no immediately attainable 
benefit from something changing your favor because the the situation around you doesn't provide for for there's for nowhere any, to go. Yeah, you you would have to have almost a like a generational hope. There, there's something that I I noticed. I only been there once, but I remember we asked some pointed questions when we were there. And something I heard very often when I, you know, asking strangers, like, hey, what do you think about, you know, what's going on, whatever. And people are like, hey, I'm not political. You know, they're very careful what they tell you. This is in 2009, at least. There was propaganda everywhere. There was, a, I remember a giant billboard outside of the airport saying, it was like the earth, but on fire. <laughs> and it said uh, in Spanish, George Bush will blow up the world. Yeah, I remember that. This yeah. is like 2009. Like, he's not even the president anymore. But it's just constantly <laughs> keeping people... You know, they're being fed politics, but they're like, eh, don't talk to me about politics, whatever. But then when we talked to the gentleman whose house we were staying in, or not really his house, but, you know, who lived at the house we were staying in, and I remember asking him, like, what, you know, so what? what is it, you know, is it good here? Or what, do you, what do you feel about it? And, and I remember him telling me, or something to the effect of, he really wishes he had something he could give his kids. You don't, you don't earn anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I think only recently they let cab drivers own the cars they drive. Yeah. But you don't, like here we take for granted that our parents will leave us something, you know, when they pass, like some kind of inheritance or some kind of legacy. Yeah. But part of the communist ideal has been like erasing the idea of family. And it's really about the state and being Cuban. So don't worry about giving your kids or your grandkids anything, you know, like we'll provide that in the state. It's erasing the idea of the individual, too. Of the individual. Yeah. And that's and the thing is, that's like a naturally human idea is to be in a family, an individual, to have a free will of some sort, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that may be in whatever country. But then you take all that away, but the despair doesn't leave of, I don't really have much... To live for, like if, if I'm a middle-aged man and I look at like I'm gonna die in the next twenty years and nothing yeah. will change. Yeah, let, let, let me let me let, let me say this, and, and maybe you guys would argue me and 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 disagree, but I believe that the only hope for the Cuban is to not be in Cuba. <laughs> there is there, there is no solution there. Well, I don't want to argue that. I, I, I mean, I, I want to that, transition that, to. That's what you got to. You, you got to leave. Let's talk about what's happening now, and then we can talk about what we would like to see happen if we have thoughts about what should happen. Does that make sense? But that's an excellent. Like, I think we need to set the stage for people that don't know anything how bad it is there. But just, yeah, we just real quick, one more thought. Like, just so there's some churches that are like, okay, like you need a new pastor, you need a new right, and there's some churches. This church is gonna die. It just needs to die, and you need to leave. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah, I, I copy what you're saying. Yeah, but so so let's talk about what is so significant about what's happening now okay. that we haven't seen before, really. All right, to this so extent. well, I, I think uh, so. Two things. So uh, there's been this argument on uh, in, uh, in the news and social media that you know one side saying. Uh, one side pushing back at the other side saying, "Oh, this is about COVID. Everybody's upset, frustrated because they didn't get, they didn't, they didn't have the vaccines." Okay, so um, what I've heard from my family and folks on the island uh, has been uh, that it's true that there has been, for example, co- uh, Cuba, uh, and this goes back to the kind of the. Uh, and I'm sorry, it's just it's it's idiocy. Cuba, rather than accepting the vaccines from other countries or, you know, developed right, internationally, right. right, they decided they were going to create their own vaccine. So the vaccine failed. 
okay? That's not a knock on, on, on Cuban medicine. I don't care about that. It's just, it's just a fact. It failed. It didn't vaccinate anybody. So they had a blowout of, of cases compounded by, the, by food shortages, um, which, by the way, food shortages for the masses, not for the 1% one, 1 of wealthy uh, uh, people, because, again, Castro, uh, the Castros uh, set up a... Um, uh, the, it's a system of, of cronyism, Cro cronyism? Cronyism. cronyism. Thank yeah. you, uh, cronyism. That um, that basically uh, their th their their folks are set. Their yeah. the the, in the whoever's on the inside is set. They're good. The, it, Everyone else is screwed. If you want to maintain power for as long as possible, keep the military and the police well fed. Yes, that's it. Yeah. So for, it's my understanding actually that Raul's uh, son or nephew is the head of the of the military. So that, that was a, that was a good move. Oh, he was probably yeah. the most competent person for the job. Yeah, yeah, of course, <laughs> yeah. of course. So you have you have definitely it was frustration that uh, for immediate needs, but ultimately, as one uh, Cuban said. Um, if you, the, he said, the embargo is not the problem. He said, this is a Cuban uh, on the island. The, the problem is not the embargo. You, f you give us freedom, the, embargo's not, the embargo doesn't exist anymore. So that, that's, that's their, gen they know this on the island. Right. One other thing uh, on that note on the embargo, there is, I've been to Cuba numerous times. Okay, probably about six or seven times at this point since 2009. I've never spoken to anybody on the island who ever says anything about the embargo. Like, not even in casual conversation. Hey, how about that embargo, huh? <laughs> that really sucks. We'd have nice cars if it wasn't for the If it wasn't embargo. for the United States, yeah. nobody believes it. Right. Thanks, that, embargo. Yeah. That is, that is uh, the, the only people who believe in the, embar and the embargo are the, the scholarly elites in the, <laughs> in the U.S. Yeah. and abroad. I, 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 that sounds very similar. To us, right? All, a lot of the people that buy into like this uh, socialism and where it comes from is with all these like elitist um, at university people. Well, mm -hmm. when did that happen? That happened after Nixon and with Kennedy, and Kennedy brought the Ivy League to the White House and to and to D.C. That that was the Ivy elite. Well, that that was historic. I mean, to to come back to Russia for a second. Before the Bolsheviks took control, what they tried to do was send out like students of Bolshevism into the countryside to talk to peasant farmers, to, to serfs basically, or ex-serfs, and talk to them about communism. And like the peasants were like, "We don't want that," and they, they were like so distraught, like, "Why don't why don't the peasants want our really elite thoughts? Like this would really work." But none of them were convinced, so they had to take it by force. Mm. Super tangential side note. That incredible song by Cat uh, Stevens, Fathers and Sons. Ah, you guys know that song? Uh, it was kind of made famous at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Okay. When Yondu dies, it's like the funeral song. You guys don't know this song? You know, I always I no. I, I just realized Cats in the Cradle is not Cat Stevens, is it? Guy just. It is. It is it? Yeah. Is it a, I only know Tupac and Nas. And I'm sorry, All right, so tell me about never, Father and Son. No, no, so <laughs> Tupac I'll, have, and Nas. I'll have Mark put that song, a, a few bars of that song in the podcast. Yeah. That song, which is about a father imploring his son and instructing his son, was actually from a musical that never got made about the Bolshevik Revolution. It's a father begging his son not to go fight in the revolution. Huh. 
that's just my little side oh. note. But anyways, I'll t- I have great more thoughts about that song. But anyways, yeah, sorry. So yeah, so so you have the Ivy Elite that is a product of Kennedy, and the embargo comes from Kennedy. Hmm. Right? That is that is 100% an Ivy Elite, and that's a shift in our country's leadership. And that's the, what you're talking about. I don't, know if, I don't know if that was on when we were recording, well, when we were talking about D.C., not liking the D.C. Uh, yeah. environment. That's yeah. all from Kennedy. Yep, yep. You know, I, I want to, like, uh, interject a thought out here and see what you guys think. So some Cubans say... The embargo is important for principle because we can't. Um, Cubans here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't um, lower um, lower the bar of, of you know principle um, for the sake of like because it's going to benefit their government yada yada yada. And so the idea is like the embargo needs to stay until communism changes. Um, because for principle, for suffering, and also like you know, we don't want Cuba and the corrupt people in Cuba to benefit. But what I've noticed, um, what happened between um, Obama and Trump's uh, second uh, term was that those that American uh, uh, leeway. Um, for 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 things to happen when Obama loosened the restrictions, yeah, and also um, the Cuban government actually it really benefited the Cuban people. Yes, I get it; it didn't benefit as much as they should. But when I was uh, noticing, is that like a lot of Cubans had their own businesses um, and and whatnot, and so I, I understand both sides of the conversation. Um, I was saying like f- from like a not ultimate, but but somewhat like a band-aid solution. I do think that even though um, you know uh, stopping the embargo would benefit an evil you know an evil government, it still benefits the people Cubans. I, I it think still that, benefits Cubans. I think the embargo is at this point in time. I don't know how far back I would say this is the truth is ridiculous. It's a holdout from the Cold War. I believe that the only reason why that there is an embargo is so that Republicans can have one county that's red in a state that's blue or South Florida is mostly blue. Bro, bro, let, 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 me, let me say this. You know what I noticed? It has nothing to do with Cuba, you know, is my you know, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's stupid. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's for the Midwestern farmer that wants to still kill commies. You know what I, not- you know what I noticed? Is that um, in Cuba, American clothing, American music, um, all sorts of American things, American entertainment is there. The more Cubans are benefiting and being infiltrated by a free nation. I think the more it would be actually likely um, that something would be different. Do you know it was a major driving force in Glasnost? You know these movies and stuff, bro. American (laughs) 20s gangster movies. That motivated Russians like nothing. You know why? Because they couldn't believe that even though the, the cops know who the bad guy is, they still have to take him to yeah, court. Yeah. yeah. Mm. That so, concept of, like, and that's always a, like the Elliot Ness, right? Elliot Ness going against 
uh, Al Capone, right? He's got to he's got to get a case. He's got to take him to trial. Yeah. That didn't happen in Russia. You just disappeared. Yeah. That concept, that dumb. It's American entertainment. Yeah. But it is putting forth what? An American concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and bro. those American concepts infiltrate culture. Bro, bro, bro. Uh, honestly, I'm supporting what Cub- you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cubans. They love a lot of of things um, that are culturally so f- in, in America, um, and so I, I think, like practically speaking, like what what could really happen? What could, we're talking about? Like okay, like let's let's not be like um, if there was something. I, I do think that Americans doing more to um, lighten, like uh, uh, enable, like. A commerce and intersection, intersection and whatnot. I think that would be more plausibly something that could change something. Because does that make sense? Yeah. Well, two two things. One, when we went over, probably one of the most popular albums here, I think at the time was uh, uh, Area Fifty Two. I don't know if you remember this, but there it was a the a, raid on Area Fifty One. No, no, no. It was a, a Latin jazz band that was a Cuban. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. It was like Cuban musicians, but they were doing other songs. Uh, it was uh, Rodrigo Gabriela, which is like a Mexican group that was out viral. And whatever. It's confusing. But here, there's always been this like, oh, Cuban jazz. Cuban, it's very exotic, whatever. When I went over in 2009, I remember the first thing. We walked into this house. The, the teenage daughter of this family was watching. A, a, she had a DVD that somebody had sent her from the United States of music videos. Mm. And she was watching like a Nickelback song. Nickelback Canadian, but whatever. It, it, she's watching this like... And that, ladies and gentlemen, is all you need to know about how bad it is in Cuba. They'll listen to Nickelback. They'll listen to Nickelback. But bro, I, 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 when I was in Cuba, I, I, heard, I heard 50 Cent, man. I heard like... Yeah, I mean, yeah. like... They, they, I'm like, do you guys even know what, what, what 50 is saying? But it's, it's this like... Yeah, they, they want... And, and I, what I saw like with the youth, at least, was... They're young enough that they can imagine a life outside of Cuba. Right. And they're like, oh my goodness, this is happening everywhere else. And like the, with the internet and yeah. all that, it's like, no way. This is really, the government's been lying to us this whole time. Everybody's happy over there. Like, not everybody's homeless because of the recession. Everybody's actually having a good time over there. And they keep lying to us that the U.S. is going to invade us at any moment, whatever. And, and so the young people have this urgency of like, can we get out? The other thing about the embargo, it's a hot topic. I'll say that much. Like you know, if you're listening to this and you're not in Miami, you bring up the embargo in like a, a restaurant or getting cafecito, you're gonna get uh, some very strong opinions. And and I'll say this about the embargo: uh, our, our our diplomatic relations with Cuba, uh, I think they ceased or they changed for the worse when Cuba nationalized all of the American assets that we had, the gas, the oil and gas. That, that was the reason for the embargo. Yes. Well, that was the beginning. That was cutting off diplomatic relations. Okay. Then it was strengthened when the nukes were placed in Cuba. Mm-hmm. And it's been like revised over the years. I think 1992 was one of the last, uh, the, the Cuban Democracy Act, whatever. And the, on paper, at least, the conditions for lifting the embargo, there's a few. But the three biggest ones are uh, once Cuba has free elections, once Cuba gives its citizens the, uh, they would say, the universally recognized human rights. Yeah. And the third one was, once Cuba is making strides towards, or they have somebody in place who is uh, trying to make it a free market economy. So, like, 
right now, you know, China, Vietnam, they're communists, but they have a free market economy right, more or less. Right. So, so those are like the conditions, right? But the does the embargo help make those things happen? Yes, and it would it would seem like the it, it's like the most bitter negotiation thing. Like, who's going to back down first? So, I think for a lot of Cubans. The embargo has become almost this sacred principle yes. kind of thing. Yep. It's like as soon as you lift the embargo, what you're saying is, even though you're not saying, what you're saying is, you know what? They were right. Communism's okay. No, but but listen, here's the thing: the people that I that I see, the people that I interact with, the people that I know, they're going to be better off. So at the end of the day, like you could you you could you know you could say that, but like they're gonna have more. Opportunities. So you say no. Uh, America softening that would would lead to the government, but yes, yes, it would lead to like this this corrupt government that takes advantage of people benefiting. But it still would trickle to the people yeah. because I've seen that. Well, let, let me say this because I don't have a family except for my extended family. That's right. To alienate, but isn't part of it if you lift the embargo, then you're saying. Not just that communism was right, but that I was wrong for coming here. That's true, but here's here's the thing about the embargo, though. Like, it, I mean, just, it's a pride issue. Like, like I, it, if that's that's one part of it, Matt. But but the other part of it is 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 the nature of the embargo. And I'm I'm not speaking as a political historian or anything like that. But uh, so so the embargo was a trade embargo with between the U.S. and and Cuba. Yes. Okay. Or the U.S. towards Cuba. It it was not a trade embargo for Canada. For Italy, for Spain, for anybody, right, any other anybody country else. that has been, that has been investing in Cuba for decades, people are still hungry. People are still struggling. People are still oppressed. Right. Okay, so it, 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 that that hasn't like for example, this is applied, uh, just to, not an ounce of political for, pressure. No, for the regime to no. do anything. No, for the everyday guy, this speaking as an everyday guy, what's the beer in Cuba that, that that's there's uh, Cristal, but what's Cristal. the other one? This, yeah, Buccaneer. Bu- Bucanero. Buccaneer beer. Sorry. Okay. Sorry, Buccaneer. Buccaneer. <laughs> Buccaneer beer. That one, that, Bucanero that, that, beer. That one's got a higher percentage. That's why I always, I always get it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually pretty good. <laughs> and they make the Malta, it's too. Five, five point something. And it's, it's, a, it's a decent beer. You know where it's made? Your favorite place. Canada. Canada. And it, and, Take and off, they have, and they, 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 pro, they actually have, I, I believe they have factories in Cuba. So, and Canada, they produce so America's okay? hat is So, beer America's to hat is, 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 is exporting beer to Cuba. But here's the thing. Wait, further. Uh, this is, this is uh, 2019 U.S. agricultural food exports to Cuba in 2019 increased in 2019. Nobody knew they even had, wait. Agri- food exports to Cuba? Yeah, it increased 14.5% in 2019. It says here, uh, data, December 2019 food exports to Cuba. Exports of food products and agricultural commodities from the U.S. to the Republic of Cuba in 2019 were, f- were U.S. 4,371,126, and they're freaking starving. Right, right. So the, the embargo wasn't. Oh, we're we're cutting you completely off and making you starve. No, it was like right, the USA. Right. Look, we're gonna we're gonna export food to you. Right. So it, it's a sham. The embargo is a sham on both sides. So it's I being used a, politically on both sides. A couple of misunderstandings about the embargo that I've encountered is one. It's 
I, there's some people who believe that there's literally like a blockade around Cuba. Like we're not. There isn't. Let, there's no neighbor. We're, we're stopping anything from going yeah. in. Right. Oh, and yeah, by the way, other other countries don't have that. So yeah, like there's no embargo of Venezuela, and Venezuela is still where it is. Yeah. But what the embargo does is it penalizes corporations who do business with Cuba and the United States. So if you had, I think Unilever might be based in in uh, the Netherlands. So if Unilever wants to invest in Cuba, they can't also invest in the United States. Who's Unilever? Uh, they make soap, soap and, and shampoo stuff, yeah. and stuff like that. So if, if they want to do that, they'll be penalized heavily, what have you. And it's from what I've been able to read, it's very confusing. Like there are some companies that won't do something because they're afraid they'll get repercussions, but they wouldn't really if they did because there's an exception to food and medicine. But there's been, like, I think Jack Ma tried to send a bunch of syringes to Cuba and Avianca Airways wouldn't deliver it because they were afraid that they would receive repercussions from the United States, which I don't think they would actually. Yeah. But in all that, with the embargo, the wor- I'll put it this way. The worst thing about the embargo is that it has become a political football. Yeah. For both sides. That's right. But the Cuban government, anytime something goes wrong, you can just say it's the embargo. Right, right. It's like, oh. We're propagating the myth that we are Goliath. Yes. I mean, we are Goliath. Let's not, I mean, compared to Cuba. We're we're the empire, right? Right. But if, you know, how is it that the military, the political party can be so well fed and the people starving? Yeah. How is it that the police will do what the government says? It's because they're fed. Yeah. So where are they getting that from? So th- there is, you know, I'm not going to say that the the embargo is necessarily helping the common Cuban, but it is it has become this grand excuse. And I'd love to see if, if we could do like you know the experiments and just alternate timeline. Cuba without an embargo for five years, what would it end up looking like? I want to agree with Aldo that if you had this influx of American culture, it would eventually undermine the Cuban yep. government. Yep. They wouldn't want that. Like They would see like, oh, things are so much better without this system. That being said, and this might go bring us into like a new area, I have never seen, the, the only other communist country that has gone from communist to, to private market or, or capitalist market and in my lifetime has been Russia. And from what I know about Russia, basically it was a scramble of who could buy the most stuff. To right. the point where, like, very few people actually own most of the stuff in Russia right now. Once it was reprivatized, and my my fear That's the oligarchs, right? Yes. And what makes this like a Gordian knot, or it makes it seem like what happens next in Cuba? If you know, if all of a the sudden there's a toppling of the communist regime, if all of a the sudden there's free election, if all of a sudden it's a there's private ownership of things, well, who owns what? Yeah. And who and is Hilton going to go in there and just buy the coastline, like like because they have the money? Who's Get his hotel money? back. Yeah. And by the way, by the by the way, Raul, one of the things that he did was he allowed before Cubans couldn't have their own little uh, stores and shops. They can now. You can have your own little business. Um, now, are you sure now? I mean, like because it changes like every couple of years. Well, the, the, the last time a year a year and a half ago I was yeah. there, um, and. Um, but you know what's interesting about Cuba is that um, you know where a substantial chunk chunk of their income comes from. One, no. of, the, one of the greatest. Uh, I have a terrible hen- tendency to on a podcast. Most of their money right comes now. from tourists from other countries, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Americans live in Cuba, sending their money back. Yeah, I would say that's probably the yeah yeah the biggest. So yeah. here we are. 
in a situation, this is what we came together to really talk about, is that we have an unprecedented movement on the island. Is that a fair statement? Mm-hmm. Unprecedented outcry from the people that are, despite their inability to uh, provide for themselves, despite their ability to obtain anything, uh, despite their ability to have any hope for themselves, let alone their children, are taking to the streets across the island in numbers we've not seen before. What should we as the United States do about it? Ah. Because, you know, my my initial gut reaction is I, I have two responses to this. And the first one is I want to do whatever I can to get those bastards out of Cuba. Mm-hmm. That's 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 my like my flag waving gut. Yeah, and the thing is the, 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 the thing about like That's one. Uh, we, we, we we oftentimes think that I think we don't think, uh, I don't know, like like very rational or, or logically. Something that's been going on for 60 years is not going to be resolved in, in, in a moment or a decision. So the question is, how does the next 60 years look different incrementally, like a crockpot? Not, okay, let's send the American military there and just... You know, just start like that would take an afternoon. Bu- <laughs> yeah, but it wouldn't. It it. it <laughs> It wouldn't change anything. Right. And that's that's my yeah. second thought yeah. is my problem is how do we do it right? Because well, one, the- I, I'm not interested in another state. Adding, I don't want to add another star to the flag. I'm not interested in another Puerto Rico. And I'm not interested in simply installing the dictator of our choice. The French Revolution was not a revolution. The French Revolution was a period of time of coup after coup after coup. And basically, someone would come into power, somebody would kill them and everybody they were related to, and then they would take power. And then they would be killed. That's why, genetically, the French have killed everyone that's brave. Watch they it. will never be brave again. <laughs> <laughs> They've genetically killed all the brave people. They've bred it out of them. So we don't want to descend Cuba into chaos. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, let me, let, so how do we go about? I, that? I don't know. Do I, that again, this is, my, this is my opinion. Like, if you got an Armenian dude, okay, <laughs> all right. I'm just, just illustration. Let's just say uh, how many groups we can. What is Armenian what is an Armenian dude Armenian? for Armenian? our non-Christian audience? He believes that yeah, uh, you slipped up a little bit, seminary professor. You mean say it again, Victor? You mean Armenia, the country, or Armenian? Armenian. You mean Follower like the theological Jacobus standpoint. Of He's somebody who basically thinks that like oh, okay. uh, his he didn't uh, mean Armenian <laughs> for the lay person. For the lay person, his, yeah, he his his willpower and his choices kind of like basically like drive his uh, spirituality and and make the the solution is in himself. You know, um, my my question. Let me ask you something. If you if you know somebody who's who's Ar- Ar- Armenian, um, w- would him likely to move away from that like humanistic um, worldview be more likely to change if you engage him and, and relate to him? Um, or would it be if you say, look, because you're a minion, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to look at you. I'm not going to deal with you like because you're a minion. Like, I mean, obviously, like, I think. Let, let, me, let me couch this because our listeners are of a vast spectrum. You're talking about someone that has a different theological point of view than us. Yes. 
how would we change their mind? Yeah, by 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 putting up a wall and saying you're off, you're whack, I'm not going to deal with you until right, you change your right. view, or by finding ways to engage them and interact, intersect. I mean, I think the answer is obvious. Right. So I think when you when you look at a place like Cuba, like and and you and Americans who are close by, like what would be more plausibly um, logical that would result in um, in things being different? I, I definitely think it, it would be in us thinking about how we can, without like condoning um, our values and principles, like just create more spaces to relate, intersect. Um, and and cross pollinate. That's that's what I, I really believe is is going to be w- would be practically helpful. I think the most ideal situation, not necessarily the one that has the best results, but the the one in which it's a, almost the cleanest situation is if there is a way for the Cuban people, the, meaning the people still in that country, citizens of that country, yeah. choosing their fate. And I think of. Uh, when, when India left the British Empire, there was you know a lot of British politicians that said like, "You guys are going to have a horrible time because we Brits know how to govern, we know how to run all this stuff, and we're just living in your hands." And I forgot which in, it wasn't Gandhi, but some Indian politician was like, "Yes, we will have a lot of problems, but they will be our problems." And there's a pride in that. We'll deal with our problems, and oh. it, it won't mm-hmm. own it. Mm-hmm. And I think for the Cuban people. We're going to have to let them own their problems. Mm. And, and that's I believe, like, really, for, for any change to happen, like, and, and I, don't, I mean this in the best way possible, there's going to have to be Cuban blood in the streets. Yeah. That they, they're willing to die for this. If they're willing to die for this, and, and they're willing to do whatever they can to, to wrest power away from the regime and create something that they want. Because I've stood by this. The Cubans did not want communism. They just didn't want a dictator, and they got another one. So the Cubans there, that what it sounds like is they actually don't want communism anymore. They want something else. And I would love for that something else to be some democratically elected person who can lead with the best intentions. But there's no guarantee no, of that. For, let me say this. Like, that, that's just, in my opinion, that's not realistic. Um, what I, is realistic? realistic? Realistic is a hybrid um, socialism that has a a blend of other Oh you're saying the democratically elected that's not realistic that's no. what you're saying it, it, This is what happens in all in all in all the globe Hey you guys have like this way of you know uh in Iraq or whatever okay we're going to get rid of that dude and we're going to put our ideological figure there the the cultural like um political ideological realities remain and so I think what, what realistic is like is is to think about something that would um, um, not obliterate um, or try to obliterate um, something that has been there for 60 years and just put something that hasn't been there and say, okay, it's going to work out. Doesn't that, I, I, have you ever seen that happen? Well, I, I, I haven't seen that happen. What I'm thinking about is on a much on a micro scale, right? Like. Um, how do you stop abuse in your family? You don't stop abuse by beating up your dad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That doesn't end abuse. That just turns the tables yeah. of abuse. J- 
just dragging I forget who's the who's the guy now who's the Ganel yeah just dragging him out in the street and shooting him doesn't change the game yeah it just it's just the same it's the same game being played yeah, yeah. over and yeah. over again so but again like so what would you like to see us do Aldo like put like you're you're philosophically I understand what you're saying how can the United States respond to that and improve that what practical things would you suggest that we do what would you like Biden to get up and say, this is what we're going to do? Um, we're going to do tangible things that are going to enable us um, enable us to uh, engage, relate, intersect um, with, with them, as opposed to we're going to just be totally hands-off and indifferent. We're just going to sit over here and, uh, and grandstand um, and just speak like a bunch of like slogans. I think I, I think we we need to like find ways for us to be interconnected with that country more right. as Americans. Uh, I mean, obviously that, that's like a very broad thing to say, but I think that, that's what it is. And and the more that that um, I think we can, um, um, I guess, meet them where they're at, um, the more I think we can empower them. Even going going back to like, uh, for example, like let's just, let's just talk about like the thing with with uh, with missions, right? So I look at I look at a Cuban church and like it's rank with legalism. It's interesting how like the churches oftentimes reflect like their context. So a lot of what you see in, in Cuban churches is like communist Christianity. Mm. Yeah. Um, so is is a solution for me to um, go in there and just like remove someone by force um, and, and force like a an ideal person and just stick them in there? I, I don't think so. I think the solution is to go there and and through relationship, through through idea sharing, through relational sharing, through moments, um, help that particular leader become more gospel centered I mean so um, over time and as opposed to like well we so just would you invite this the standing pre- the sitting president right now to the United States to say let's talk about what's going on in your country yep that's what I would do and I, I guess I'm a sellout you know I, I think know. I think no I, and thanks <laughs> for saying that what you just said because that because that'll, that's you're a sellout. that's no, what it would no that's what it would come off as and and it I would, think it would. so the so you, it's almost like yeah, like, like saying well it's it's like yeah it's like going back to Obama era uh, you know relations with Cuba that's basically which which am I wrong is that kind of like a start to what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so even if it's for for, for disingenuous reasons or whatever, you know. So for Cuban Americans, that's a hard one to swallow. For what you said earlier, there's a lot of pride that right. you know we 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 want our Cubans our, here. We yeah, yes. Cubans here want our pound of flesh because our parents, mm-hmm. because of our parents and our grandparents, we want justice. Yeah, um, and you'll you'll get pushback from. Uh, the Cuban American community here in the United, in Miami specifically, other parts of the U.S. But you know what Cubans there are saying? Cubans there, you know what? I, I I talk to like young people, like smart young people, man. Well, everyone Cuban smart, you know. That's that's something like everyone's everyone's an engineer and like a right. you know, doctor, yeah. a scientist. They're like, we're hoping that this this was a, a, in a Trump's um, first term. They're like. He's a businessman. Just for the record, Trump's only term. Yeah. 
Okay. That's right. <laughs> so far. That's so far. That's so far. Uh, uh, he, they, we're, we're hoping that he would move America towards Cuba. That's what I heard Cubans saying. There, on the ground. On the island, yeah. Not, we're hoping that he would put his foot down and, 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 and do this to Castro. You right. know? Stick a middle finger up. No. So I'm saying, like, what, what are people there saying? What do they want and what, as, 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 as the people on the ground? And they're saying, like, we want America to move towards us um, in our, you know, like, uh, dysfunctional, like, like, political system, not to just perpetually, like, hold up the bars, like, you know, like... You know, Right, That's right, what saying. right, and 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 also keep in mind, any I remember um, having a conversation with someone years ago. This is, bef- this is under Bush, uh, so before any of the Obama stuff, uh, a Cuban scholar type, and he was talking about what a transition would look like, and he said it would take generations. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, it would take gener. It's gener. This is generational. I, I think Aldo, you said earlier, you made a, a, a reference to a slow cooker, right? A crock pot, right? It's 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 incremental, and it has to begin somewhere. It has to start with some, uh, some giving in and uh, some give and take, right? Um, I think the pushback uh, of the Cuban American community, and I'm saying this just because I have so many friends and family that that uh, expressed this to me. So there was no um, there was no giving in on the other side on the on the on the on the Cuban government side. You know they still they still had their political prisoners. They were not. But what what's to say that over time there wouldn't have been changes that would have come down the pike and maybe even not now maybe even not now after obama's out of the office four years trump was out of uh, out just now and another you know and a new administration it might still be the same bro you know you know what want to hear the interesting thought so when like uh i'm sorry because we want we want everything we want expediency and immediacy yes, we want, and we're not going to get it Christians, uh, not Christians, uh, Americans are, are microwave everything. Um, but here's what I, I heard. Um, when, we remember like when they uh, supposedly like um, Cubans were doing like uh, shady things to Americans. And that's why like we, we pulled out of like basically like, you can't get visas. Like all, all like the travel visas, like, like there's like no employees now in the, in the embassy. And so like a bunch of basically like all of like the... Um, uh, and, you know, the, 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 the going back and forth to Cuba, like it got pulled away, and like the employees got taken, and the embassies got taken out. The embassy got taken out, and the idea was we're doing this because the Cuban government is doing like you know shady things to, to Americans and in the embassy, and like we're microwaving their brains or something. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and by the way, I think I think it was proven afterwards that there was some shady stuff going on there. Yeah. Okay, well, some weird te- Cold War type technology. I asked many Cubans when I was there. I said, "This is what this is what's going on." Right, tell me. They're like the Cuban government does not want to antagonize America. Hmm. The Cuban government can have their slogans, they can have their stuff, but they want the positive things that have happened towards Cuba to continue. They may not say it, they may not admit it. Hmm. We didn't that we didn't do things to antagonize America. Now, again, I, I'm not saying that. That's what it is. But I'm just saying, like, when, when Cubans were like, hey, our government pulled back because, you know, your government was, like, just doing things in attack. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I know, I know these freaking, you know, communist, like, wackos. That didn't happen. 
So here's here's my point of view, and this is from someone that doesn't have family there, never been there, but I do live in South Florida. I feel like this. I was going to think I'm a communist after this. Comunista, comunista, ñangara. No wonder why you took the flag. Bro, the, no. no, bro, but I'm saying, I'm just saying that there's when you when you love and care for actual people that are there, right? It's it just it's different. But see, I you, yeah, it's different. Yes, what I'm saying right. is there is this is, I think, just as an important a moment for the soul of the United States as it is a possible watershed moment for Cuba. Mm. I feel like we have lost who we are. We are so incredibly divided. We are absolutely for freedom. We are absolutely for caring for people. That's what we're supposed to be. That's what we were meant to be. Why? Like I, I need us to figure this out and do it in the best way possible. I'm not just saying the way I want. Because I, I honestly don't know what the response is. That's why we're having this dialogue. But I'm saying it's just as important for the United States to handle this challenge well as it is for Cuba. Yep. Not not on the same physical immediate needs, but like for the soul of our country. Yeah. I don't know who we are anymore. You know what I mean? Our flag, our Statue of Liberty, those things meant something. And a lot of that has been deteriorated and eroded and taken away, and it's allowed racism to fester. Like, we are going down a dark path. Yeah. And we need to do this right. And so that that's my point. That's the pressure and stress. And there is an affinity because I'm an adopted Cuban. Like, a Cuban family adopted me. Oh, really? Interesting. Well, yeah, no, us. not. I mean, that's his. <laughs> not, not, not. Okay. Aldo doesn't know my story at all, so I can't be hyperbolic. He's like, really? <laughs> um, like you have papers and yeah. such. <laughs> like your last name is Cuban, Raul. No. Cubans adopted a little white boy. Look at it, it's so cute. <laughs> Mateo Cabeza. Mateo Cabezon, the large head. <laughs> um, that's that is why I'm asking these questions because I see a cry for freedom, and that's why I put on a uniform. That's why my dad went to Vietnam. That's why my grandfather volunteered and fought in World War II. Yeah. Those those are that's a family value. And I want to know what can we do to help Cuba. But again, like I said, I know that there's a reckless way to do it. And I know it's going to take longer than we want. But I also want us to stand up and say we're for things getting better in Cuba and well, we're willing to do the work and take the time and do it. Let me say something else in light of that thought. I was there when Fast and Furious was being filled in Cuba. <laughs> Nickelback and Fast and Furious. I'm going to shoot Bro, myself in the face. Let me, t- let me tell you something. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to be um, trite. An American movie being shot in Cuba was profoundly helpful in this conversation. Hmm. It, it was profoundly helpful. I was walking around La Havana Vieja, bro, and I saw hundreds of Cubans getting paid. All these people there, like, it was like, you guys are doing something that you guys do on our turf, and it was received by everybody. Those are the kind of things, in my opinion, that would actually tangibly lead to a real um, shift in, 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 uh, in, like, the really... It's us, um, not 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 compromising, 
I think you, you have your values, you have your convictions, but you're like, I'm going to um, engage, relate, uh, intersect um, with a longer picture that w would potentially be, be transforming. Fast and Furious, um, American actors, American people, and Cubans being all involved in that for, for, for like months, um, did a lot more than people over here grandstanding um, right. about how we can never just do anything to benefit or be involved in Cuba at all until they change. That's just my opinion. I think also, um, and it's been my experience, uh, every trip that I've taken to Cuba has been with a ministry called Christian Family Life and, and uh, to becoming one. It's a marriage ministry and and it's it's it operates uh we operate exclusively with the underground churches these are the home churches uh you know mom and pop shops type uh and and as aldo said you you look past the 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 methodology the, the some of the theology you have to look past because it's it's a little little off but you um but you look past it because you you get to know these people and they become your friends um, and and you you know when when this happened when when this started happening, I was messaging some family and 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 uh, and some some of the friends that I've I've made through Christian Family Life, uh, and they they you know they're, they're okay they're 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 just telling me everything's fine they don't want to say too much you know. Um, apparently, uh, uh, one friend of ours who I communicated with on WhatsApp a few months ago said because I hadn't heard from them. They said we we we're not on Facebook anymore because it's it's compromised, and this is months ago. This is like two or three months ago. So, the, but you know they're survivors. That's that's how you that's how you live in Cuba. You survive. But the the uh, case in point that phone call on WhatsApp, uh, FaceTime type call. Um, when we hung up, my friend my friend uh, Roland, who who heads up Christian Family Life, said, "Did you see what that meant to them? Just a phone call." Just to hear from someone on the outside, and and the you know and and I, I think the 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 idea is for the average person to look for opportunities outside of the politics yeah. to connect with the people there because ultimately that's the only thing that matters. You know when you when you get to go to Cuba and oh, you go to you, you just to Santa Clara and and you see. Um, people who have been married already or are together, they're coupled, right? And after three days, they're renewing, they're, they're, they're actually, some of them renewing their vows, some of, some of them exchanging vows for the first time with donated wedding dresses from the United States. And they're putting on the dresses, the women are putting on the dresses, and they, they feel like Cinderella. And they're walking down this aisle like a, like a like a a parade of brides coming down the aisle. I mean, that's that's impactful for the yeah. whole family, for the yeah. community. Yeah. You know, Cuba is. You know, it's funny. Like, I heard someone say this. In Cuba, what runs Cuba is not money; it's relationships. Relationship is 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 your resource. And so, if you're thinking about like, like benefiting a place like that, it really comes down to um, real relationships being deep with people across the lines. That would be what would be would go really far. 
Um, but saying like, we're not gonna relate to you until you, I don't know. Play by our rules. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. Yeah. And so, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think I think one of the issues that I just fi- constantly like encounter, like in, on this, you know, in, in our our spectrum, is that um, we always want to play by our rules our way. Um, and 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 not okay. I have my rules, but maybe I need to work out my rules uh, and play the game in a way that's a bit different that would enable me to, like, you know, play with other people, you know? Well, maybe we're all playing Monopoly and we need to put our house rules aside. Yep. Yeah. Right. And so again, everybody and, has a different and, 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 and it's thinking, like, not what can happen right now, but what could happen with that mentality in, like, 15 years. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Guys, um, we have to wrap it up. Uh, but I want to thank you for for this. This is a good good place to stop. Thank you for for coming out. Thanks for being here, Aldo. Appreciate it. Sure, man. Victor, thanks for showing up. <laughs> I know it's been difficult for you. We look forward to hearing more more of you on the podcast. Um, so the Cuba problem Nobody is cares not. That I'm here. It's, it's okay. Well, you you're always here. I'm always I take it for granted. <laughs> the, the Cuba the Cuban problem is not an easy problem to solve. We we're not we're we're just kind of having a conversation here, um, and I know. That that will stir up uh, some of the stuff that we've said will will stir up emotions and feelings and, and opinions and that's cool that's fine but uh, we the best we can do right now is just uh, uh, pray for the Cuban people keep them in our in our minds and and not let this opportunity not drop this opportunity because it's when it when it no longer longer becomes uh, a fad on social media but uh, that we continue to to find ways to connect Connect with the Cuban people, to find ways to support them and to love them. And uh, thanks for listening in. Viva Cuba Libre. Libertad. Uh, patria y vida. Thank you, Victor. <laughs> Thank you. Cuba Libre. It's not time to make a change Just relax, take it easy You're still young, that's your fault There's so much you have to know Find a girl, settle down If you want, you can marry Look at me, I am old, but I'm happy was once like you are now And I know that it's not easy To be calm When you found something going on But take your time Think a lot Why think of everything you've got For you will still be here tomorrow But your dreams may not Explain when I do, he turns away again. It's always been the same, same old story. From the moment I could talk, I was ordered to listen. Now there's a way 
Go. Oh. 